In the middle of the 19th century, Europeans made huge progress in the field of geology and realized for the first time that the Earth was not just a few thousand, but probably several billion years old. Charles Darwin's 1859 book, The Origin of Species, and the theory of evolution he proposed made people realize that human history may in fact have dated back millions of years. Around that time, European archaeologists uncovered sites of ancient civilizations across the world in places like Egypt, Pompeii, Maya, Nineveh and more. It was at this high tide of archaeological fervor in 1862, a boy was born in Budapest, Hungary. Later, his name was closely associated with Don Huang, and he became one of the most controversial figures in the history of Don Huang. Hello. Welcome to another edition of the Why We Love Dun Huang podcast. I'm Graham Stevens. Previously, we described how the library cave of the Dun Huang Mogao caves was physically discovered in 1900, but its value was mostly neglected. Following its discovery, the cave amazed every person who visited it. Even people who didn't personally visit it described the cave as a miracle after hearing about it. But as China was in chaos at the time, there were no governmental measures taken to protect the cave. Seven years after the discovery, a foreign explorer came to Dunhuang with his team. He was the earliest visitor to the library cave. His name was Mark Oral Stein, a Hungarian-born British archaeologist. Born in Hungary in 1862, Stein was the third child of a Jewish family. The Stein family spoke both Hungarian and German, and the boy showed his talent for learning languages. Stein later studied at the universities of Vienna, Leipzig and Tübingen, and received his PhD from Tübingen in 1883, majoring in foreign languages, Sanskrit and Persian. A year later, in 1884, he went to England to study Oriental languages and archaeology, and three years after that, in 1887, Stein travelled to India to work at the University of Punjab and later became the principal of the Oriental College in Lahore. After staying in India for ten years, Stein made a proposal to the then British Indian government for an exploration of Central Asia. His idea was inspired by some important new findings of the time, including ancient Indian birch bark and paper manuscripts that had been discovered in Central Asia. Supported by the British colonial administration in India, Stein conducted in total three expeditions to Central Asia. The first journey, which took place between 1900 and 1901, targeted the Hotan, and near ruins in northwest China's Xinjiang. The second expedition began in April 1906. A team of eight people, led by Stein, crossed the Pamir Mountains before arriving in Xinjiang. In southern Xinjiang's Kashkar, Stein hired a Chinese named Chiang Xiaowan to serve as his assistant and translator. They moved east along the ancient Silk Road, 
and explored the ruins of the ancient Lulan Kingdom. A lot of cultural relics were discovered during this trip. Stein chose a path that had been trodden by another Chinese explorer over 2,000 years previously. In the year 138 BC, the Emperor Wu of the Han Dynasty sent out his ambassador Chang Qian from Dunhuang to travel to the west. The intention was to search for alliances in order to defeat the Xiongnu tribe that posed a threat to China in the west. Chang Qian crossed the Gobi Desert and the Lopno Desert, reaching as far west as Xinjiang's Kashgar region. It was after defeating the Xiongnu that the Han Dynasty formally established the frontier settlement of Dunhuang. Stein followed the same route that Chang Cheng had taken, but in the opposite direction. This same route had been taken in the year 399 by the Chinese monk Fa Xian as he headed to India in search of Buddhist textbooks. After his return to China, Fa Xian recounted his experiences of travel on foot across that arid land. There were no birds in the sky, no animals on the land. When looking around for signs of the road, you see lots of skeletons. Over 300 years later, another Chinese monk named Xuan Xiang also picked the same route to reach India for the same purpose. Previously, we recounted how Xuan Xiang traveled from China to India to pursue Buddhism and how his story inspired the creation of the influential Chinese novel Journey to the West. We will talk more about Xuan Sang's story later. Travelling on camels and horses, Stein learned how difficult a long-distance journey could be. He loved to bring two books with him on his expedition. One is The Travels of Marco Polo, and the other is The Great Tang Records on the Western Regions, written by Suang Tsang. In his own books, he also paid great respect to the spirit and courage of those earlier pioneers, including Monk Fa Xieng and Suang Tsang. Finally, in the very cold and windy early spring of 1907, Stein, along with his Chinese assistant, arrived in Dunhuang. By that time, Dunhuang had long since lost its old Silk Road glory days that it had enjoyed hundreds of years earlier. As we now know, the library cave was discovered by Taoist abbot Wan Yuang Lu in 1900. By the time Stein arrived in Dunhuang, the cave had already sprung to fame among people in the surrounding regions. Stein heard about the cave from a businessman living in Dunhuang. He was very interested. He rushed to the Mogao Caves, only to discover that Abbot Wang, who was in charge of guarding the caves, was away on a months-long mendicant or begging tour. He decided to come back later. After over two months, he went to the Mogao Caves again. This time, he was able to meet Abbot Wang. He said he wished to enter the library to take a look. Initially, his request was rejected by Wang. Wang had spent almost eight difficult years living at the Magao Caves. In his mind, he was turning the old ruins into his Taoist temple. 
Other than a few scrolls that he'd used to bribe local officials, he had guarded the belongings of the library cave carefully. To Stein, Abbot Wang appeared strange, nervous, shy but cunning. Stein saw the library cave had been sealed up again with bricks, and he realised that meant the wily Abbot Wang was controlling his visit. According to his diary, Stein sensed from the very beginning that it was not going to be easy to deal with Wang. It was impossible to bribe him with money, because doing so would hurt his religious sensibilities. Therefore Stein decided not to leave the caves any time soon. He was very patient. He inspected other caves and took photos of the paintings and statues. In the Yulin Caves, another Buddhist cave temple site, some hundred kilometers east of the Mogao Caves, he found paintings describing Swan Tsang's journey to India. Stein was a die-hard worshipper of Swan Tsang. He found his idol was a household name in China. Every time he described to Abbot Wang how he had travelled to China in the footsteps of Swan Tsang, Wang, who usually looked calm, showed excitement. Stein soon figured out that Wang had a double-sided personality. He was determined and dedicated, but at the same time he was ignorant, naive and superstitious. Stein talked about how much he admired Swan Tsang, and he even made up a fictional narrative that it was the spirit of Swan Tsang that was guiding him to take some Buddhist manuscripts back to India. From the look in Wang's eyes, Stein knew his narrative about Swan Tsang had worked. He made himself out as a devout religious believer, just like Abbot Wang. Finally, Wang opened the library cave to Stein. The moment Stein walked into the cave, he was shocked. In a small cave of less than 10 square meters, there were piles upon piles of well-packed rolls stacked along the walls. They were stacked up to 10 feet high, and the total volume was almost 500 cubic feet. Many historical scenes from over a thousand years earlier including people's Buddhist and secular lives, the luxurious palaces of ancient kingdoms, the hardships of traders along the ancient Silk Road, had all been recorded in these documents. All of a sudden, and like a dream come true, Stein was presented with a long, rich history covering different cultures, ethnic groups and religions. Stein was excited, but no sooner had he moved some items out of the cave to study them, a suspicious Abbot Wang moved them back in overnight. Stein knew he would have to take away some of the collections, but to do so, he would have to persuade Wang. After a difficult negotiation, he paid Wang four Chinese hoof-shaped silver ingots, around 200 teals of silver in all, in order to get 270 bundles of the formal Chinese and Tibetan packages, as well as a large number of bundles from informal piles. In the end, he left with 24 large cases of documents. The silver he paid to Wang is only worth around 5,000 US dollars by today's financial standard, 
Later, Stein bragged in a letter to a friend that the same amount of silver could only buy a copy of one Sanskrit manuscript in Europe. That is why, to this day, Chinese scholars still don't recognize it as a fair transaction. Stein's collections from the library cave arrived in London in early 1909, after more than a year of transportation. Later, they entered the British Museum. Among these items was the original copy of the Chinese version of the influential Buddhist manuscript, the Diamond Sutra, which is known as the oldest dated printed book in the world. Today, this copy is one of the most valuable collections in the museum. Stein recorded his experience in Dunhuang in detail in his memoir, Ruins of Desert Cathay, including how he accessed the items in the library cave. He died in Kabul, Afghanistan, at the age of 80, and was buried there. He said he loved to be buried in a desert, because the desert is free and peaceful. His activities in Dunhuang were not noticed by the Chinese authorities due to the negligence of Dunhuang's local officials at that time. Chinese scholars did not even know about Stein and the library cave until a year later in 1910. That was only after another Western explorer visited the library cave and exploited the largest Buddhist art gallery in the world. Special thanks go out to the Dunhuang Academy and Sang Liang Zhongdu for contributing to the content of this podcast. If you like the show, do give us a five-star rating or a review. I'm Graham Stevens. See you on the next episode of Why We Love Dunhuang. Dunhuang.